I'd ask you to take your Bible and turn, if you would, to the book of Colossians. We've been on a little bit of a journey through the book of Colossians. We're in the fourth chapter, uh, the final verses, verses 7 through 18 of this uh, wonderful book. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, who this sermon might be for. Uh, this is one of those uh, challenging texts to try to preach because uh, it's, it's a lot of greetings. You know, uh, this person says hello, and that person says hello, and tell this other person hello. And sometimes it's hard to preach a, a sermon when it's a bunch of greetings like that. But uh, I'm, I'm grateful that the schedule worked out in such a way that, uh, that Jeff could be here because this sermon's for him. All the rest of y'all can take a nap, okay? Um, but this sermon is all about what, what, the, what kind of church uh, God blesses us with and some of the qualities of the body of Christ. And so if nobody else gets anything out of it, I'm going to get something out of it. Jeff's going to get something out of it. But if you pay real close attention, the Lord might speak to you as well. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18, if you found the place, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. We read in these verses, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He, was, he is always wrestling for you in his prayers, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you great greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. I tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you may accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chain. Grace be with you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us insight into your word and that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here we have a uh, long list of characters, and it just reminds me of the variety, the different kinds of people that make up the body of Christ. And the, the first point that I'd just like to share with you is that the body of Christ is a team. It, we're really a team. We all have different roles. We have to different things that we do, different strengths and all of that. And the very first guy that Paul mentions is a guy by the name of Tychicus. Now, if I were to ask you who were some of your favorite characters in the, uh, in the New Testament, Tychicus would probably not make the list. He's not, there, he's not that famous. He didn't write a book of the New Testament, but I tell you, he should be considered among one of the uh, godliest men of the New Testament. And we read in, in chapter 4, verse 7, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news 
about me. Let me tell you about Tychicus. He was a hard worker. How do I know that? Well, in addition to what Paul has to say here, he traveled with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey. And you might think, well, what's the big deal about that? Paul's third missionary journey was five years long. Okay? It wasn't, it wasn't a two-week trip where he hopped on a plane, visited some people, you know, uh, hammered a few nails into a, a building, and then came back home. No, it was a five-year journey. And in fact, he spent two of those years or so in a place called Ephesus. And during the last part of that journey, Tychicus uh, hopped on board with Paul. They came across each other, and Tychicus journeyed along with Paul. Now, what were they doing on this journey? A couple of three things. They were, they were telling people about Jesus. They were also strengthening the believers, those that knew the Lord, that needed good doctrine. And the third thing they were doing, and this is very important, they were collecting an offering for the poor Christians that were in Jerusalem. Now, what had been happening was uh, that there was a famine in Jerusalem. And whether the poverty there was due directly because of the famine or some other reason, uh, Paul and Tychicus and some others were collecting an offering that they were going to take to the uh, mother church, the Jewish church in Jerusalem, made up of Jewish believers. And this is significant because this offering is coming from a bunch of non-Jewish churches, Gentile churches. And so this offering is not just a goodwill gesture, but it also can help build a bridge between different ethnicities, between people of different backgrounds, and showing everyone that we are all one and united in Christ. And so Tychicus goes along with Paul, and uh, they take this, this uh, money all the way back to Jerusalem. Tychicus joined them on that third missionary journey, and Tychicus was very, very trustworthy. How do we know this? Well, you've got a book in your Bible called Ephesians. What happened there was that Paul was writing the book of Ephesians. It was a long letter, writing it on a scroll. We call it the book of Ephesians. But Paul could not take the letter to the church at Ephesus himself. And so he handed it to someone, someone trustworthy, the only copy of this book that we now call Ephesians. The person he handed it to was Tychicus. That's a trustworthy person. And not only did Tychicus deliver the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus, he delivered the book that we're reading today. Colossians to the church of Colossae, and he also delivered the book of Philemon, another letter that Paul had written to the owner of a slave. All three of these books are in the New Testament, and they were all in the hand, literally, of this man Tychicus. We also know that Tychicus was trustworthy because there was a point where Paul was wanting to get in touch with a man by the name of Titus. You remember that book in your Bible as well. Titus was one of Paul's representatives. He lived on the island of Crete. He helped serve the, the different pastors and the churches there on the island of Crete. Well, Paul wanted Titus to come back to him, but that would have left the, the work of God's kingdom on the island of Crete unmanaged. And so it is most likely Tychicus who was the one that Paul sent 
to the island of Crete and who would relieve Titus of his duties so Titus could go be with Paul. That is a trustworthy man to be left in charge of helping and assisting a number of pastors and churches there on the island of Crete. And not only did Tychicus do that with regard to Timoth- excuse me, Titus, but he did it also with regard to Timothy. There's two books in your New Testament called Timothy. And the second of those books, which is the last book that Paul wrote, likely before he passed away, Paul sent Tychicus to Timothy to relieve Timothy of essentially the same duties that Titus had. And so Timothy was able, near the end of Paul's life, to go back to Paul and befriend him in the final days. And it was Tychicus who resumed or continued Timothy's responsibilities in Timothy's absence. Tychicus is a giant of a man spiritually. We don't know a lot about him, but what we do know is what I've just told you. And he was a man of such trustworthy character that Paul used him for God's glory and used him well. So we have Tychicus, then Paul mentions somebody else. He mentions Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave. And so here's Onesimus. He ran away from his master. His master's name was Philemon. And he runs away, and he runs to Rome, and he, he comes across this guy in prison in Rome by the name of Paul. And Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. And so what Paul does after he leads Onesimus to Christ, he builds him up in the Lord, and, and Onesimus gets involved in church, and he grows in his faith. And then Onesimus actually accompanies Tychicus all the way back to Colossae with this letter that we have to deliver the book of Colossians to Colossae. And on this same trip, there was another letter that was accompanied by or carried by Tychicus and Onesimus. And it was a letter back to Onesimus's master, Philemon. And that book, of course, is in your Bible as well. And so Paul says in verse 9 that Tychicus is coming with Onesimus. And he calls Onesimus a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. That's like saying someone's from Texas. He's one of us, right? But he's one of you. They will tell you about everything here. And so you have Tychicus, you have Onesimus, these two characters that, that Paul found to be incredibly useful. And then the next character that Paul mentions is a guy by the name of Aristarchus. Aristarchus, I like Aristarchus. Now, you may not know a whole lot about Aristarchus, but he's the kind of guy that you want in a dark alley, okay? Aristarchus is a fun guy, okay? Because at one point, Paul and Aristarchus were in this city called Ephesus, big city. And Paul is preaching and Aristarchus is preaching, and they get the crowd so riled up, that crowd becomes an angry mob. And they drag Paul and they drag Aristarchus into, a, into an, an arena and a riot's about to break out. Aristarchus is the kind of guy who says, 
oh, there's going to be trouble? Where? I want to be there. And so Aristarchus accompanied Paul during that riot, during all of that mob action. And later, and I love this about Aristarchus, he accompanied Paul in carrying that financial gift all the way back to Jerusalem, that gift that I'd mentioned before. And so Paul, Paul didn't just put a bunch of money in his pocket and, and wander off with it. No, there was accountability, there was transparency, some principles that are very lacking in many churches today. But he had transparency and accountability in Aristarchus. The guy who was ready to rumble was alongside Paul. And here's what Paul says of Aristarchus now, at this point in their lives. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. I love that. Aristarchus is like, you're going to be preaching the gospel and you might go to jail? Count me in. You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. He's like Doc Holliday. I'm your huckleberry. He'll do it. He'll jump right in there. And so he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. In Philemon, Paul calls Aristarchus my fellow worker. And so then we move on to the next character. He's listed right there in the same verse, Mark. Mark happens to be Barnabas' cousin. And uh, who is Barnabas? Well, when Paul went on his very first missionary journey, he took this guy, Barnabas. Barnabas would turn out to be probably the greatest encourager in all of the New Testament. If someone calls you a Barnabas, it is a compliment. He is an encourager to the, to the nth degree. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go on this first missionary journey, and everything's going fine. Uh, Mark, this guy, Mark, that's mentioned, who, by the way, later wrote the gospel attributed to his name. And so Mark is along with them on that first missionary journey. Mark chickens out. Mark wants to go home. Mark gets homesick. He deserts them. We don't know what reason, but Mark leaves the team before the journey is over. And so the journey's finally over. It's time to go on a second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, come on, Mark, let's do it again. Let's try again. And Paul says, no, uh-uh. Once a quitter, always a quitter. I'm not having him on the team. And there was such a sharp disagreement between Paul and and Barnabas as to what to do with this guy Mark that deserted them on that first missionary journey that they decided to take two separate trips. So Paul went on his second missionary journey and Barnabas took his cousin and said, John Mark, come with me. And so Barnabas encouraged John Mark. Now, at the time of the writing of this letter, it's 12 years later. And Paul tells the church at Colossae, Welcome Mark without reservation. If he comes to you, welcome him. Listen to me. If you have ever failed, if you've ever failed spiritually, if you've ever let somebody down, Mark should be an encouragement to you. And if there's somebody in your life who has failed and they've let somebody down, you need to be a Barnabas to them. God is not finished with people who fail. 
Then Paul mentions another guy, Jesus. Not the Jesus you're thinking of. Jesus was a common name, okay? It essentially is like the word Joshua, okay? Jesus was a fairly common name. This is a different Jesus. This guy, just to be clear, is a guy, uh, Jesus, who is called Justice. What do we know about this guy? Not much, other than he was an encouragement to Paul. And there's going to be people in the church that, uh, that no one will ever know except for the Lord. And that's okay. The Lord does know. And then Paul mentions another guy in the next verse. His name is Epaphras. Epaphras was very important. Paul um, probably uh, converted Epaphras to the Christian faith. When Paul was on that third missionary journey, taking his two-year stay in Ephesus, that's where Epaphras apparently came to know the Lord, began to be discipled in the Lord. And then Paul probably sent him back to Colossae, his hometown. And it might have been that Epaphras was the guy who started the church at Colossae. We're not exactly sure. But then later, some false teachers began to creep into the church at, at, at Colossae, and Epaphras didn't know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, you need to go ask somebody. And that's what Epaphras did. He left Colossae. He went back to Rome, where Paul was imprisoned at this point, to get counsel from Paul. And so this is what Paul says about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who's one of you, one of you Colossians, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He being absent from them. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. And then Paul mentions another guy, a guy by the name of Luke, in verse 14. He simply calls Luke the dearly loved physician. How did we ever get the idea that Luke was a physician? It's this verse. And so here's this guy, Luke. Luke was a guy who accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, as far as we know, Luke was the only fellow believer who was with Paul, as Paul at least faced a possible execution. By the way, how important was Luke? Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other person. He wrote more than Paul did. Paul wrote more letters. But if you've ever read the book of uh, Luke, if you've ever read the book of Acts, they're long. And if you believe, like I do, that Luke wrote Hebrews, then that means Luke wrote over 31% of the New Testament. If you think someone else wrote it, Luke still wrote 27% of the New Testament. Luke was pretty, uh, pretty important to the Christian faith. The next person Paul mentions is a guy by the name of Demas. There's something interesting about Demas in this verse, and it's what's not there. What's not there about Demas is a compliment. Paul says nothing about Demas other than his name. Paul has no commendation of Demas, and we'll see why in a minute. I want you to know with all of these characters that Paul mentions that God's work is not completed by a few super Christians. It is a team effort. 
Every person who follows the Lord Jesus Christ must be faithful wherever the Lord has placed that person. And you must be faithful where God has placed you. The second thing and the second point and following will be shorter than the first. The second point is that the body of Christ is made up of a diverse group of people. What do I mean by that? Well, all these people that Paul mentioned, they were diverse ethnically. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice, they were all Jews. All the others were Gentiles. And I want you to know that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not lose your ethnicity. Your ethnicity is a gift. It is a gift from God. And you do not lose your ethnicity. But what happens is, when you come to faith in Christ, your ethnicity does not divide you from anyone else in the body of Christ. Because ethnicity is not a point of division in God's family. You had all these people that were different ethnically. They were different socioeconomically. Here we have Luke, who's a doctor, and Onesimus, who's a slave. And yet, none of that matters. They were all part of the team. They had different kinds of education. Some of the people that Paul was writing to in Colossae, they couldn't read. Most people in that day didn't have the ability to read. And so Paul says, read the letter out loud. When the church gathers together, read the letter out loud so all can hear. So it doesn't matter what your educational status is, whether it's great or small. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your wealth is. It doesn't matter what your background is. In Christ, we are united. You know, I come across uh, some, some Christians, and, I, and I'm very grateful that these days in most churches, having someone different next to you uh, on the pew next to you is not that big of a deal. And, and most churches uh, have Christians who say, oh, that's fine. I want to be accepting to other people. I want to be open-minded to having different kinds of people in the church. And that's good, but I want you to know that God has called us to a higher level than that. God not only wants us to be accepting of other people, but he wants us to become friends with people who are different than us. Because there is a difference between treating someone who's different than you kindly, which is good, and treating someone who's different than you as a friend, which is greater. The body of Christ is a family as well. The word brother is used three times in this passage that we read. And you should know that every believer in this room is your brother or sister in Christ. And if they are your brother or sister in Christ, that means that you have the same father. We're part of the same family. The body of Christ is made up of slaves. It's made up of slaves. Slavery is not that important, or not that, not that popular these days, because our country has a very bad history when it comes to slavery. But there's a slavery to Christ, which is not bad at all. Tychicus and Epaphras were called bond slaves. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice were called workers. Archippus, when he's mentioned, You'll notice near the end in verse 17, he didn't choose his ministry. 
He was, in, he was told to be instructed by the church to do the ministry that was given to him. Archippus didn't choose his ministry. He received his ministry from the Lord. God supernaturally appointed Archippus to his ministry. Sometimes God makes the decision for you. And your job is to say yes. And that's it. And do the ministry that God has given you. So many of us come to this idea of serving God as if it's a choice. You know, we're glad to be saved. Thank you, God, for saving us. But I'll get back to you on whether I'll serve you. I don't think that attitude is proper. The same God who called you to salvation has called you to ministry. We need to understand our ministry like Archippus, who received it from the Lord, and he said yes. We need to be reminded that no matter what we do, whether it's in front of a lot of people or behind the scenes, we work for Christ and for Him alone. The body of Christ is also made up of people who want to do God's will. I'm going to put a verse up here on the screen, verses 12 and 13. It talks again about Epaphras. It says, Epaphras is always wrestling for you in prayers so that... You can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. If I were to ask you, what is the will of God? And the first thing that were to come to your mind is, well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's God's will that I go to this college. Or maybe it's God's will that I marry that person. Or maybe, maybe it's God's will that I do this job. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God's will. Those are, those are specific directives that might be given to you. God's will, though, refers to how God wants us to live, regardless of those things. God's will is found in God's Word. What is God's will? It is God's will for His Word to dwell in us. It is God's will for us to be people of prayer. It is God's will for us to abstain from sexual immorality. It is God's will for us to live holy lives. It is God's will for us to tell people about Jesus. That is God's will. And that is what we are to stand mature and fully assured in that we are doing God's will as it is revealed in His Word. And there's one final thing that I would say about the body of Christ, and this would be a warning to every one of us. It would be a warning to Pastor Jeff in Utah, and it would be a warning to me. The body of Christ has people in it who will fail. You think about John Mark. John Mark had a rough start. He deserted Paul and Barnabas, but he got it together. In the end, he was faithful. On the other hand, Demas. Demas, on the other hand, seemingly had a good start, but eventually he deserted Paul. This is what Paul says. Some of the last words that he would ever write. Demas has deserted me.
since he loved this present world. And he's gone to Thessalonica. There will be people in your church who disappoint you. There will be people who you looked up to who will disappoint you. In fact, there will even be churches that will disappoint you. Paul mentions a certain church in this passage, the church at Laodicea. Paul had high hopes for the church at Laodicea. But 30 years later, that church would be so self-sufficient instead of God-sufficient. That church would be so lukewarm that Jesus himself said, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Same church that Paul had such high hopes for. In Colossians chapter 4. Listen to me. If you've ever experienced disappointment in a fellow believer, it is the failure of that believer. It is not a failure upon Christ. If you've ever been disappointed in a church, it is a failure of that church. It is not not a failure of of Jesus Christ. So many of us, so many people these days, have gotten away from going to church. Why? Because some deacon back then, some relative back then, some church member back then, got us all riled up. They hurt us. They said something wrong. We've got the attitude, well, if that's the way Christians are, I don't want any part of it. I don't need to go to church and get harangued like that, get treated like that. I want you to know something. As humans, we have a tendency to focus on the negative. Okay? I can preach a sermon and have 99 people say, Thank you, Pastor David. That was a wonderful sermon. I love it when you preach. And one person can say to me, that wasn't a good sermon at all. What do you think I'm thinking about all week long? The one malcontent. The one critic. That's the way we are as people. You could have a church family who will love you and love you and love you and love you and be faithful to you, and then one person say the wrong thing. One person hurt your feelings. I'm done with church. Come on. We cannot let ourselves fall into the trap of listening to those that are negative, of focusing on the demises of the world. There are so many other faithful people in this passage. We should be like them. We should emulate them. We should look to them for encouragement instead of to the one that lets us down. What if you and I were like Paul? 
What if you and I were like Tychicus or Aristarchus or Luke or Mark who got a second chance? What kind of team would we be if each one of us simply fulfilled the role God has given us? What an incredible opportunity we have to be the people of God for people that need to know him. And if today you came to church because you're visiting somebody, someone invited you, you just stumbled in, you saw the brown roof and you thought, what an interesting decision that church made (laughs) to have a brown roof. There's a story behind that if you don't know it. But you decided to come to church, you came to church because you're a widow and you're lonely. You're a teenager and you're confused. You're a parent and you don't know what to do with your widow parent and your confused teenager. And you're stuck in the middle and you're just looking for, looking for answers. Let me tell you, this sermon's not going to address everything in your life. No sermon will. But where it starts is to have a relationship with God. Okay, that's the most important thing, that you have a relationship with God, and it comes through Jesus Christ. How can you be in Christ? You need to understand a few things. You need to understand who Jesus is. He's the Lord of all. He's the Savior of the world. He died on a cross to pay for my sins, which are numerous, 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 and to pay for your sins too. And he rose from the grave so that we could have eternal life. His death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, that is the bridge that gets us to be able to have a relationship with God the Father. So what we have to do is we have to trust in him and confess that he's Lord over all. And God will come into our lives just like he did with me many years ago, like he's done with so many other people. Here in this room, God will come into your life and he'll be with you forever and ever. And God makes you a promise in the book of Hebrews. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you've ever been abandoned, if you've ever been forsaken, if you've ever been deserted, God says, I'll never do it to you. And you can know that God will tell you the truth. Because he does not lie. If you want to have a relationship with God, that's how you do it. Through Jesus Christ, trusting him. And so if that's your will today, just go to him in prayer. 